Hey, welcome to the Learning a Little Lessons podcast. We are all about filling you up on Jesus so that you can go out and pour out to your people. Today, I have something really special for you. I have a recording from our Mom's Night event in October. And the first one is called What Rocks Are In Your Wagon. It's by Carrie Creamer, a gal that goes to our co-op. And I think you guys are going to be blown away with everything she has to say. So this is the first in a set of four, maybe five recordings from this event. And I know you're just going to love it. So let's get started. My, my goal tonight is that you go home with something that you can work on, something that you are encouraged uh, with, um, something that you can be thankful for. Um, so let's pray and then we'll get started. Lord, um, God, I just pray that you uh, tonight, God, would just calm my heart, um, calm my mind, Lord as, uh, just preparing for this Lord. Um, I just pray that, uh, it would be helpful to these ladies, Lord. And I know we all come from the same place. We all, um, are centered around you, God. We all decided to homeschool Lord and, uh, just take on a lot of stuff that God, that as we talk about tonight are going to put in our wagon. And, um, God, I'm just thankful for the people in my life who have, um, just invested in me and invested the word of God into me, um, friends and people at church, Lord, who, um, just, uh, God help me be a better mom, help me be a better wife, um, help me to love you more. And I'm just so thankful for those people. God, and really what tonight is, is just an outpouring of the things that I've learned over the last 37 years of my life. God, that has been, um, impactful to me. Lord, and I pray that it is for these women tonight, God. In your name I pray. Amen. So the story is told of a woman who met God in a valley one day. He asked her to take a wagon with three stones up a winding path to the top of a hill. The wagon pulled a bit behind her, but the burden was an easy one. Just around the third bend, she walked into a small village. Then, at the last house, a young lady stopped her. What a nice wagon you have. Where are you off to? Well, God asked me to deliver these three stones to the top of the hill. My goodness, can you believe it? I was just praying this morning about how I was going to get this rock I have up to the top of the mountain, the woman told her with great excitement. You don't suppose you could take it up there for me? It would be such an answer to prayer. The woman with the wagon smiled and said, of course, just put it behind the other three stones. Then she set off with three stones and a rock rolling behind her. The wagon seemed a bit heavier. The woman could feel the jolt of each bump, and the wagon seemed to pull to one side. The woman stopped to adjust the load as she sang a hymn of praise, pleased to be helping out a sister as she served the Lord. Then she set off again and soon reached another small village where her friend lived. You're going to the top of the hill, her friend asked. Yes, God asked me to take these three stones to the top of the hill, and I'm helping someone else out and carrying this rock. Hey, said her friend, I need this bag of pebbles taken up. I've been so worried that it might not get taken care of since I don't have any time to do it myself. They'll fit in right here between the three stones here in the middle. And with that, she placed her burden in the wagon. Shouldn't be a problem. I think I can handle it, the woman said as she headed off. The wagon was definitely tugging on her arm now, but it wasn't uncomfortable. As she started up the incline, she began to feel the weight of the three stones, the rock and the pebbles. Still, it felt good to help a few friends while serving Lord. 
One stop followed another and the wagon grew fuller and fuller. With each step, the wagon got harder and harder to pull. As resentment began to build in the heart of the woman, as she wondered why God had given her such an overwhelming task. As the sun grew hot above the woman pulling a load, her shoulders began to ache with the strain. The songs of praise and thanksgiving that had filled her heart had long since left her lips. The wagon lurched and the load of obligations collided with the back of her legs. She had had enough. I can't do this anymore. This is too hard, she fumed as she sat down at the side of the road. How does God expect me to haul this heavy load all the way up the mountain? He'll have to get someone else to do it. As she stopped by the side of the road, God came to her side. What's the matter? Why are you stopped? This is impossible. How do you expect me to pull this entire load up the hill? I'm not strong enough, the woman sobbed. I just can't do it. God walked over to where the wagon was braced with the stone. What is this? He held up the bag of pebbles. Well, that belongs to Mary, my good friend. She didn't have time to bring it up herself, so she asked me to. And this? God tumbled a large rock over the side of the wagon as the woman tried to explain. God continued to unload the wagon, removing both light and heavy items, until only the original three stones remained. The woman grew silent. I only asked you to carry these three stones. I didn't ask you to carry these other rocks. But all these other people needed help. I thought I was serving you by helping them. I know you were trying to help, but when you're weighed down with all these cares, you can't do what I've asked you to do. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I will never ask you to carry more than you can bear. How many of you guys can relate to that woman? I think we all can, can't we? At times, we often function like that overloaded wagon. And we're trying to pull a load. We're trying to pull our load. And then all these things just start coming at us, right? So someone asks us, hey, can you make a, a dinner for a new, a new mom? Okay, that literally happened to me today. It's kind of funny. I was preparing for this. I'm like, wow, that literally just happened to me. Someone asked me to make a meal for a new mom. Maybe you get invited to a Bible study at your church that's on a, on a school night, um, you know, and you're like, man, do I really have time to go do that? Maybe you get asked, hey, um, it's your nephew's last soccer game on Saturday. Like, can you come and watch this? Um, maybe you get asked to host something at your house. That, again, literally happened to me last week. So all this stuff, you're trying to pull your load, and all this stuff just starts coming at you. And we start taking on these good things. But the rocks in our wagon that God asks us to carry are starting to suffer because of it. And listen, we can take on a lot of good things and put them in our wagon. But when those rocks become more than we can handle, we're carrying a load that God never intended us to carry. And so what I want to do in the remainder of my time tonight is I want to answer the one, this one question. What is required of me? Okay, our theme tonight is stewardship. Okay, if it's required of a steward, what is a steward? A person who manages another's property that are that and if it's required of a steward that a man or woman be found faithful according to first corinthians 4 2 what stones has my master asked me to carry and if i'm going to put first things first what things should be in my wagon and that's where we're going tonight the first stone that i believe belongs in your wagon is right here yeah your relationship with the Lord belongs in your wagon because everything else is hinged on that. And if you're in this room today and you're a born again Christian, we owe him everything, don't we? We owe him our very lives. Why do we owe him everything? Letter A, because we, he created us and made us in his image. And I don't think sometimes that we really comprehend that. Like he could have used anything, a pattern, uh, he could have used anything that he created or would have created 
to make us in, in that image, but he didn't. He chose to make us in his image. Okay, Genesis 1, 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You fast forward about 4,000 years in human history and you go to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, you see Jesus. He's talking to some Pharisees, okay? And the Pharisees, they're doing what the Pharisees do. They're trying to trip him up, okay? And so they ask Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus, um, is, it, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And so Jesus is like, he knows exactly what they're doing. And he's like, well, he's like, do you have a penny? So someone gives him a penny. And he asks him a very interesting question. He says, whose image is on the coin? And they're like, well, it's Caesar's. And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. You were created in the image of God. Do you render to God? Do you return to him the things that are his? You were made in his image. Letter B, why else is this stone to be in our wagon? We're always to put him first, right? We look at Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 20, verse 3. It tells us that we are to have no other gods before him, okay? That's the first commandment God gave us when he wrote the, with the Ten Commandments with his very finger. He said, you are to have no other gods before me. And because he created us, he has the right to command that of us. And letter C, and probably most importantly, why should that rock be in our stone? Because he saved my soul from hell. And that's the essence of the gospel, is it not? My sin separated me from God, and God can't coexist with anything that is marred by sin. I've lied, commandment number nine, broken it. I've stolen, commandment number eight. I've not put God first, commandment number one. I've coveted, commandment number 10. And my, my sin makes me guilty before a holy God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He bridged that gap by dying on the cross and he didn't just die, he rose again. And he offers forgiveness of sin to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's not just a head knowledge, right? It's got to go from here to here. The Bible actually says in James chapter 2, verse 19, he says, the devils actually believe in God. They don't just believe in him. It says he, they tremble. Like they know God exists, but what have they never done? They've never bowed their will to him. And so it's not just the head knowledge. It's got to come into your heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, or excuse me, 9 and 10, it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it's a moment in time where you have humbled, you are humbled by your sin, and you cry out to him in repentance, and you turn from that sin, trusting in him and him alone and what he did on the cross for you. And, and listen, that is the essence of the gospel. And if you have never, if you're sitting in this room and you've never heard that, or you've never actually done that, please talk to the person who brought you. Please talk to me before you leave, because that is the most important thing. That is the most important decision you could ever, ever make in your entire life. Practical tips. Okay. I want to be real practical tonight. Okay. Hopefully we're not so heavy, but practical tips. Okay. Number one, how can you carry your stone on a daily basis? Okay. Number one, Read your Bible every day. Okay. I love this book. Okay. This book 
does not contain the words of God. It is the word of God. And it has the power to change your life and not just your life, your eternity and your family's eternity for generations. If you will just read it and believe it, love your Bible because you will fall in love with the author of the Bible. Number two, memorize scripture. Okay. The most Famous verse in all of the Bible, you could probably all quote it. Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against him. Okay? If you don't know what the book says, you cannot obey him. Okay? You must read your Bible. Memorize it. Because, listen, it's inevitably going to come when somebody's going to ruffle your feathers and you're going to get a little bit ticked off, and you're going to need to remember, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I use that verse, my husband uses that verse over and over and over and over, and then again with our kids. Esteem each other better than yourself. You'll be amazed at how many fights that stops, even with your husband. Esteem him better than yourself. Okay, and he'll reciprocate. Okay, another another uh, scenario. You will eventually come when somebody talks to you with a bad tone, and you're like, mm, you know, you're like, pop them, and you're gonna have to remember. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. But you have to know the book and what it says, and it's got to be hid in your heart. Okay, read your Bible every day, memorize scripture. Number three, write out the word of God. Okay, write it out. You look in the Old Testament, God, he was amazing in his infinite wisdom. He told every king that was to sit on the throne in Israel, he said, go to the Levites and write yourself a copy of the law and carry it with you. He says, let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 and 19. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. God loves books. Out of that, which is before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. God asked the king to write himself a copy of the law and keep it with him and read it every day. We live in America where they're on every shelf in the dollar store. You can go there and buy one for a dollar. We don't have an excuse, okay? Write it out, read it, memorize it. Number four, what's the fourth practical tip? Okay, sing, okay, sing. I can't sing, but I love to sing. Okay, so I get a wireless speaker, put it in my kitchen. We put Pandora on to Shane and Shane, and we just sing. Me and my kids, I love it. It's so fun. There, honestly, there's nothing better than hearing your kids sing to the Lord. It's, uh, I love it. Like my little, uh, I, I got to keep going. <laughs> it's just, it's just awesome. And you know why I like to sing, even though I can't. You're gonna hear this word a lot, but singing changes my perspective. Whenever I'm having a crappy day and I just turn turn some music on where they're singing to the Lord, it just changes my perspective and reminds me who he is and who I am and why I need him. And I can remember this, the awesomeness of God when I sing, oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. I power throughout the universe displayed. It just changes my perspective. And I can remember to be humble and thankful when I'm reminded 
What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Some, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And if that doesn't change your perspective when you're having a bad day, or reminded of what you've been forgiven from, and that he doesn't remember it, and that he separated your sin as far as the east is from the west, whew, you might want to check your heart. Because <laughs> that's powerful. It's powerful. Number two, the second stone that belongs in your wagon. Right here. Your husband. Okay? Your husband belongs right in the middle of this wagon, right next to the Lord. Why? Because marriage was in the heart of God from the very beginning. You don't get out of Genesis chapter 2 before there's a wedding, right? Immediately in Genesis chapter 3, Satan starts attacking. Okay? And he starts coming after that couple. And listen, if you're in here and you have a godly marriage, Satan is coming after you. He hates your godly marriage because it's a picture of Christ in the church. And he's going to come after you and you've got to be ready to fight back. Okay, now let me ask you something. Was Adam and Eve's marriage orchestrated by God? Yes, yes absolutely, right? Because Adam's looking for a bride. He can't find one. Here comes an elephant. Here comes a hippo. Here, he's like, none of these work for me, okay? I need to help me. Okay, and so he puts Adam to sleep, and God takes his rib, and he makes Eve, and she wakes up, and Adam's like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Come here. Let's get married. Okay, and they do. God clearly orchestrated their marriage, right? So they had no marriage problems, right? Wrong. Who said that? Wrong. Exactly. Okay, can you just imagine? I, I, I picture this. Can you imagine, like, Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and Eve's like, seriously, Adam? You told God it was the woman you gave me? And Adam's like, you told him it was the serpent. You know, so obviously they had marriage problems, right? You get to Genesis chapter 4, you find out they raised a murderer. Their son literally murdered their other son. But I thought their marriage was orchestrated by God. Everything should be perfect, right? Okay, what about Isaac and Rebecca? Okay, you look at Genesis 24 and at, or, excuse me, Abraham, he wants to find a bride for his son, Isaac. And he tells, he tells this unnamed servant to go back to his kindred. And he's like, hey, find Isaac a bride. And this is what, this is what I want you to find. Okay. And so the unnamed servant goes back to Isaac's kindred. And the Bible says that he's actually praying. He's like, God, please show me what, who of these women that you want for Isaac. And the Bible literally says, and it came to pass while he was still speaking. While the unnamed servant was still speaking to God about who he wanted to find for Rebecca. Here comes Rebecca. And she fulfills everything that the unnamed servant had asked for. And the unnamed servant's like, this is the woman. And so he gets Rebecca and he talks to her, her dad and they take him back. Okay, and Isaac and Rebecca get married. Okay, their marriage was clearly orchestrated by God, right? Okay, did Isaac and Rebecca have marriage problems? Of course they did, right? Rebecca is the one who literally tricked her husband Isaac into giving Jacob Esau's blessing, and she, it said she subtly did it. Okay, you think that caused marriage problems? Of course it did. Okay, okay, what about you? What about you? marriage was it orchestrated by god can you see the hand of god that moved on your behalf and behalf of your husband to bring you two together uh, actually how my husband got here to ohio we talk about you talk about the sovereignty of god on his life and my life to bring us together can't tell you the story right now but really cool story but listen if you're in this room tonight unless you were in complete rebellion 
to the Lord when you married who you did, God also orchestrated your marriage. Okay, listen to this verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 9. Okay, we often use this, hear this verse at the end of a wedding. We also hear it when we're telling people, counseling people not to get a divorce. Okay, but this is the verse. It says, Mark 10, verse 9, it says, What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Did God join you and your husband together when you got married? Did he orchestrate your marriage? Okay, here's the point. We're flawed people, right? And even though God clearly ordained our marriages and clearly orchestrated them, we're still going to have problems because we're these two fleshly people that want what we want. And when we're not seeking the Lord and, and moving towards him together, but we're going this way, okay, we're going this way, we're going to have problems. But listen, remember, 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 I want to encourage you today to remember that God brought you and your husband together for a reason. What was that reason? He tells us in the Genesis. You were brought together to create sons and daughters of God that ultimately will bring God glory. Don't miss that fact when you think about your husband, that he was a, he's a gift to you from the Lord. Okay, now, if I were to ask you, what is the pinnacle chapter in the Bible on godliness for women? What would you say? Proverbs 31. Exactly. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies, right? And you read down from verse 10 to verse 31, and you're like, man, this woman is industrious. Like, it says that she, she, her candle goeth not out by night. She riseth while it is yet dark. Okay, she uh, considers a field and buys it. Okay, she's like Karen. She's got gardens. Okay, she's a gardener. Okay, this woman's got a side hustle. Okay, her, her family is clothed for the winter. This woman is doing everything. But I want to focus this down to what, as it relates to this woman and her husband. Okay, because we learned two key things. Proverbs 31, 11 says, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Let me ask you, does the heart of your husband safely trust in you? Can he trust you with the finances? Can he trust you around other men? Can he trust you to be where you say you're going to be for as long as you say you're going to be there? Can he trust you with his reputation around other people, especially women? Does the heart of your husband safely trust in you? Number two, Proverbs 31, verse 12, it says, She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. All the days of her life. Do you build your husband up in front of and to your kids? Do you stop your kids when they say anything against your husband? Do you defend him fiercely like you would if someone came after your kids? And I don't mean physically. I mean when they, someone comes after your kids verbally. Do you, do you give that same honor to your husband and defend him? Are you for him? Or are you guys like this and you're just picking at him or he's picking at you or you're picking at each other and you're, you're nick nagging him and you're finding ways to cut him down or are you for him and you're doing this thing called life together because you're for him and you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. You're esteeming him better than yourself. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. I wasn't going to go here, but just a little, little aside, this makes me think, it says all the days of her life, okay? Most women outlive their husbands, don't they? 
This woman, it says that she did that all the days of her life. So if you ever find yourself where you're a widow, do him good and not evil all the days of your life. But you know what's really cool about this relationship that you find in Proverbs 31 with this husband and wife? I love this. This reminds me of even some of my friends. So you can get some of my friends sitting in this room. This woman's husband, according to verse 23, is known in the gates. Okay, he has a seat of prominence. What does that mean in today's vernacular? Okay, maybe he's a leader in your church. Maybe he leads a small group. Maybe he's a ministry leader. Maybe he's a deacon in your church. Okay. Verse 31 says, he's, again, he's known in the gates. Verse 31 says, give her, this is talking about the virtuous woman, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Who do you think's leading the charge praising her in the gates? Who's sitting in the gates? Her husband. Her husband. You find in verse 28, this is a verse we often get on the front of a Mother's Day card, okay? And we just stop the verse. This is what the verse says. Her children arise up and call her blessed, okay? And we stop there. Makes a great Mother's Day card, okay? <laughs> Proverbs 31, 28. Let me read you the whole verse. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. He's praising her among his kids in the house to their mama. And I can guarantee you he's the one leading the charge in the gates, praising his wife among his peers. Is there anyone else on the planet that you'd rather hear praise you? And if you can answer that question, yes, somebody other than your husband, you need to go back and ask yourself, does my husband safely trust in me? And do I do him good and not evil all the days of my life? Okay, so some practical tips to help you carry this stone, okay? This is number one, okay? And it's number one because I can guarantee you it's his number one, okay? And it's probably going to get a little bit awkward in here if there's air going out of the room, okay? But we're all husbands and wives, or wives with husbands, right? Okay, number one, sex, okay? We got to talk about it. Listen, if you are struggling in this area of your marriage, Listen, if you get nothing else from this night, you must, 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 must talk to your husband about this area of your marriage. You must, okay? He needs to be honest with you how he views intimacy, and you need to be honest with him about how you view intimacy. He needs to know, you need to know what it feels like when you, you need to know what it feels like to him when you reject him. And he needs to know what it feels like to you when it becomes duty. And you guys need to work very, very hard at bridging that gap. But you have to have the conversation, okay? You need to talk about frequency because I guarantee you, you have a different definition of what that means versus what he thinks that means, okay? Just talk about it, okay? Talk about it. And listen, if you use intimacy as a tool, against your husband according to first corinthians 7 5 you are being unbiblical there's no other way around it if you use it as a tool against your husband you are being unbiblical and according to that verse you are giving satan a foothold in your marriage and i can just tell you i can just tell you from experience even this week i know a family 
who this issue right here has Satan got a foothold and he took an inch. He got an inch and he took a mile. And the wife is plucking her house down with her hand. The husband went ahead and poured gas on it. The woman took a match and lit it. And their marriage is literally in flames over this issue right here. But this book, it's just irrelevant. It doesn't really talk about today's life. You don't really need this book. And God is warning you in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not give Satan a foothold in your marriage. Listen, the world has no problem talking about this topic. You go to kindergarten nowadays. You go to an elementary school. You turn on Netflix. You turn on Hulu. You turn on the radio. You go to the library. It is saturated in our culture. And the only place that we do not talk about it is between exactly the church and between a husband and wife who God clearly designed it for. Why is that? Okay, I have my own reasons. And listen, I on uh, why we don't, okay? The church has done a horrible job of talking about this issue, okay? And there are women and men out there who are very confused on this topic and God gives us clear answers. We will just open his word and read it and esteem each other better than ourselves. Okay, but listen, I understand, okay? A little bit about my background, okay? So my mom, on my mom's side, my grandma and grandpa, they, we, they grew up Amish. They jumped the fence when they were 20, okay? So that was my grandparents. On this side, my dad's family came out of the holiness church, okay? So we didn't talk about sex ever, ever in our house, okay? I'm, as sure as I'm standing here, my sister, my, my oldest sister, my middle sister, and I... We never even had to talk, okay? And we're all three married, okay? So my mom definitely dropped the ball, okay? So listen, I understand, okay? We come from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life, but listen, it is so key. You have to talk to your husband about this issue, okay? And it might be an awkward conversation, but listen, if your husband safely trusts in you, and you seek to do him good and not evil all the days of your life. It might be awkward, but I guarantee you it will be a beneficial conversation. You must, must, must talk to your husband about this issue. Okay, number two, second practical thing, okay? This is the only uh, beauty advice I will ever give you in my entire life because I am not qualified to give it, okay? And I'm definitely not even qualified to give this one. Okay, but number two, oh, number two, okay? Smile, smile, look, you all can do it. Okay, smile, smile at your husband when he comes home, when you see him across the road, okay? On across the room, hey babe, okay? Some of my friends are really good at this, okay? Listen. Why should you smile? Study after study after study shows that men find women who smile more attractive. Why? Because they think you're flirting with them. <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought when I read the study. I was like, that's hilarious. Okay, so here. Smile at your husband. Do not smile at mine or I will punch you. Okay? Smile at your husband. Okay? Okay, number three. Number three. I can't tell you how key this one is too. And this, I love this one actually. Number three, the third practical way, find time just for him. Okay. 
Find time just for him. Okay, when does this happen at the Kramer household? 8.30 at the Kramer household is hour. I love 8.30. You know why? Because my kids are in their room, in their beds for the night. Okay? And then at that point, 8.30 on, Ed and I can do whatever we want. And yes, that does include number one. Okay? <laughs> because there's time for that. And it's allowed for that because we're by ourselves and we can do whatever we want. Okay? And I love that time in my marriage. You know what other time I love in my marriage? I even like it more than at night. It's in the early morning when it's just him and I. And we're in our living room and he's sitting over there on the couch and I'm sitting over here. He's got his Bible. I've got mine. He's got his coffee. I got mine sweetened up a little bit. We got our journals. We're reading and we're just reading the word of God. And God pricks my heart. And I'm like, oh, I got to share that with him. I start and I share it with him. And he's like, yeah, that reminds me of this. And then we're like, yeah, hey, did I tell you yesterday that I forgot to... And you know, actually what happens most of the time, we don't do it every morning. Doesn't just our schedules don't work out that way, but probably two, three mornings a week. We don't, we have to read our Bible later on in the day because we're just talking about life. And honestly, those times in my marriage, that fellowship with my husband, that just knits our hearts together that we can take on the world. Man, I wouldn't give those up for anything. I, re I really wouldn't. Number three. A third stone that belongs in your mare, in your in your wagon. Excuse me, right here. Your kids. Okay, go ahead and put those little hooligans right there in your wagon. That's what I call mine. Why? Why are your children in your wagon? Children are in the heart of God from the very beginning. God said, "Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth with sons of God." Psalm one twenty seven verse three says, "Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward." Listen, if you have kids, they are a gift from the Lord. Okay, you read in the Old Testament, how many women in the Bible were barren? Or how many women in the Bible were barren? And how many women in the, in the Old Testament were fruitful? And God closed their womb. It's not a small thing that you have children. It is not. Psalm 113.9 says, he maketh the barren women to keep house. Okay, read that on a college campus these days in a feminist classroom. Okay, <laughs> he maketh the barren woman to keep house. You, honestly, you can barely read that in the church these days, to be honest. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. And I love the end of the verse because this is how cool God is. He says, praise ye the Lord. If you have your children, cherish them. And if you have six or you have nine or you have 12 and the people stare at you in the store, who cares? They're a gift from the Lord. Cherish them. Cherish them. Listen, and let remember, God gave your kids to you, okay? He didn't give your kids to me. He didn't give my kids to you. He gave you the kids that he wanted you to have. And listen, have you ever sat and thought about what does God specifically want to teach me with the kid that God gave me? That kid who gives you run for your money. What's God trying to teach you? Or that kid that's compliant, but he's kind of a little bit subversive. What's God trying to teach you? Or that little girl that you got to work to get a hug out of her. What's God trying to teach you? about the kid that God gave you because it wasn't an accident. He handpicked your kid for you. 
Listen, he will equip you to lead them if you just ask him. Just ask him. Just ask him. David Platt, I'm not a huge David Platt fan, but he had a good quote on parenting. He says, our goal in parenting is not ultimately for our kids to get a great education or to be great athletes or to find a great husband or a great career. Our goal is for them to love a great God. And listen, the world is doing everything in their power to make sure that that does not happen. They don't even want your kids to think that he exists, right? You have to be vigilant because there is an all-out war on our children. If you don't believe that, just look at recent history. You look at the Hitler youth and what they did to those kids and the way they brainwashed them. You look at Fidel Castro and what he did to those kids in Cuba. Or you look at America and you look at the LGBTQ community and what they're doing to our children. Listen, you have to fight fiercely for your kids because you never know how much time you have. And this is a very personal story for me, okay? Growing up, my dad, he, was a, um, con- uh, he owned his own business. My mom was a homemaker. I had two older sisters, like I had mentioned, okay? My older sister, she's about seven years older than me. And she's one of those people who, probably the best way I can say it, she's one of those people who, could, who can't get out of her own way. Okay, and then I have another sister. She's about four years older than me, and she was born with cerebral palsy. And so my mom spent a lot, a lot of time with her at the kitchen table doing homework, just helping her. And so consequently, me and my dad spent a lot of time together. Okay, and I loved it because I was a tomboy. Give me a ball, and we're good to go. Okay, so I did a lot of stuff with my dad. And my dad, he was my best friend. He was my hero. Like, I, I thought the sun set on my dad. And uh, my dad was a custom home builder. Um, side note, he actually inherited the company when he was 23. His uh, mom and dad were killed on a motorcycle by a drunk driver, both of them, same time. They were 45, and he inherited this home building company when he was 23. And so I would ride along with my dad and um, just to job sites, and I'd see him interact with his subcontractors. It was fun, you know, pick up a broom every now and then and push stuff. You're hanging out with my dad. I loved it. He would go to meetings occasionally after after hours, and he would ask my sister to go along. Nah, take care. Take care. I'm like, sure, I'm going. So I'd hop in the car. We'd go 15 minutes to the office. I'd wait for an hour until he talked to the client. They'd come out. We'd drive 15, 20 minutes home. Loved it. I loved spending time with my dad. He was awesome. Okay. We go to countless high school basketball games. Basketball is our thing. We love basketball. Man, I'd be like this big and he'd be dragging me to high school basketball games and we'd just spend time together and I'd see him interact with people in the community. Okay. We, I, I, again, basketball is our thing. So I play basketball for hours in our driveway in the summertime because I wanted to beat my dad. That's just, I, I wanted to beat my dad. And so I would go, I'd practice, I'd be all hot and sweaty and practicing, practicing, I gotta beat my dad, I gotta beat my dad. I'd go inside and then I'd know about the time he was gonna come home, I'd go back outside and play basketball so it looked like I was playing all day, you know? <laughs> and he'd come up in his little blue truck, he'd park his truck in the driveway, he'd get his briefcase, he'd walk inside, he'd take his uh, work boots off, put his athletic shoes on, and we'd play basketball in the driveway till my mom called us to dinner. And we'd do that all the time. And we, I loved it. My dad was the best. He was so awesome. And I think about my dad, I think about this verse in Proverbs 23, 26. He says, it says, my son, my daughter, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe thy ways. 
I just tell you, my dad had my heart. I was young. Why? Because I observed his ways. He took me with him. I was never a bother to him. I saw his life all the time. And then one day, May 28th, 2001, a little after eight o'clock in the morning, I'm laying in my bed in the base, in my room in the basement. All of a sudden, my mom just started pounding on my bedroom door. And I'll never forget the stare in her voice. And she's like, Mom, or she says, Carrie, come quick. She said, I think your dad is dead. And in a moment, that it was all over and man I was devastated and I cannot describe to you the level of pain where your body physically hurts your heart just it feels like someone rips it out of your chest and I'm standing there and I'm looking at my dad my whole world is laying there in a casket and I'm thinking God, why? Like he, he's not going to see me play my junior, senior year of basketball. He's not going to see me graduate. He's not going to see me graduate college. Who's going to walk me down the aisle? Like, he's not going to meet my kids. And, oh, the, I mean, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It was just, it was awful. But you know what other emotion I felt very quickly after that? thankfulness and as the years go by and I think about the and I see the payoff of the investment that my dad made into my life to this day I could to this day I could just name blessing after blessing that I see in my life because my dad invested in my life and he cared about me and honestly there's wasn't gonna go here either but Honestly, there, there's literally no reason why I should be standing up here right now, okay? I 100% firmly believe that my relationship with my dad gave me a self-confidence that a girl needs. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm looking at my friend, Christina. She's known me since kindergarten, okay? Growing up, I would... I'm, listen, I'm not self-deprecating here, okay? I was the ugliest kid in the class, okay? <laughs> and I didn't care. I wore clothes that didn't fit me. I wore athletic shoes. I wore jeans to high school. I always had my hair in a ponytail. I didn't wear makeup till I graduated high school. And I didn't care because my dad cared about me and he gave me value and he told me who I was. I'm telling you, please go home and tell your dads, your husbands, love your daughters. Invest in your daughters. You want them not to, you want them to have a high standard of who they're gonna marry? Tell your husbands, love your daughters. And I think about my dad and I'm just, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful because there are women who their dads die when they're 80 and they can't stand them. I'm just telling you, I'm so thankful for 16 years, four months and 24 days that my dad invested into my life. We see this principle in the Bible of you never know how much time you're going to have. I think about Moses, okay? Here's little Mo. They put him in the bulrushes, right? Okay? And here comes Pharaoh's daughter, and he finds Mo in the bulrushes, okay? And, and Miriam's standing over there, and she's like, hey, 
Pharaoh's daughter, do you need somebody to raise that little boy for you? And he's like, yeah, sure. Take him back to your house. And when he gets big enough and I don't have to deal with him as an infant, you know, bring him back to me and he can live in the palace with me. And that's what happened. Okay. They believe Moses. Some Bible scholars believe he was maybe three. Most of them consensus is kind of believe he was probably seven to 12 when he went back to live with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter. How did Moses know that he was a Hebrew? How did Moses know who the Hebrew God was? The Bible says in, he, in Hebrews 11, in the great faith chapter, verse 25, he says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That was Moses. How did he know that? Did he have a mom and dad who knew they had seven to 12 short years before they had to give him up to the world? And so they just invested their time in that little boy so he would know who he was. Or what about Daniel? Daniel was carried on into Babylonian captivity. They believe he was anywhere from 13 to 17 years old. Okay, he gets taken out of Jerusalem, dropped into Babylon. And they're like, hey, smart guy, you're now going to read our books and get our education. And you're going to eat our meat and drink our wine. And Daniel's like, raises his hand. And he's like, can I just have some water and some vegetables? It says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. What causes a junior high, early high school boy to stand up in the middle of a heathen nation and say, I'm not doing it. I'm not. Can I just have some, wa some water? Can I just have some vegetables? And they're like, man, they do that for him, right? And they're like, man, this Daniel, he has a wisdom that we don't even know of. Like, how is he so, how does he know all this stuff? Could it be that he had parents that didn't care about their side hustle and didn't care about the expensive house and the fancy car. Okay, those things, I'm not poo-pooing those things. Have them, they're great. But just stay, I, trust me, I'm a huge capitalist. Have your house, have your money, okay? But listen, don't do it at the expense of this, okay? Somebody was investing the word of God into this little boy that when he got carried off, he knew what he believed and he had the conviction to stand on it. Okay, what about Joseph? Okay, he was 17 when his brothers threw him in the pit and then sold him into Egypt. Okay, and he rose to prominence. Why? Because he had a wisdom that others didn't have. Why? He rises to the level and he goes into Potiphar's house. He's third in command in Egypt. And here comes Potiphar's wife. And she's like, hey, he's pretty handsome. I'm going to go ahead and take him. And jo Joseph is repulsed. There's nobody around. He could have went ahead and did it. And, and the Bible records this. It says, Joseph said, how could I do this wickedness and sin against God? How did this 17-year-old boy in the middle of the world, if you read your Bible, Egypt is a picture of the world. God took him out and they put him in the middle of the world. And he said, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I will not do it. How did he have the conviction to do that? You don't just wake up one day and have that. He had parents, I guarantee you, that were investing in that little boy. Are you, are you investing in your children? And listen, I know at some level I'm speaking to the choir because we all homeschool, okay? But in this culture, it's not enough. It's not enough. Okay, what are some practical tips to help you carry these stones? Number one, pray for their salvation. Pray for your kids' salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
do you believe that God doesn't, that God wants your kid to come to repentance? Couple that with Matthew 21, verse 22. It says, in all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Do you believe that God wants your kid to come to repentance? Get on your knees and beg God that they will come to know the Lord at a young age. And also, side note, pray for their spouses. Pray for their spouses that they're going to find. Pray for that there's moms and dads out there that take this as serious as you're going to take it so that your, your kids have somebody to marry. Number two, love their dad. Love their dad. You want to help your kids out? Love their dad. Love them in front of him. Okay? I mean, hug him and kiss him. Okay? <laughs> Not perverted here. Okay? love him talk about him favorably to them okay remember we're not against each other we're for each other okay number number um three thank you spend time with them spend time with them doing things they love to do okay this is easy for me and my boys okay because my boys love sports praise the lord okay i love sports and i love throwing football so me and Sawyer and major man we're out there in the backyard and we're running routes and we're setting up cones and we're cutting angles i love it it's so fun it's like the best thing in my day throwing football with my little boys it's easy okay it's not even work and they think that i'm working i'm not i'm like dude i don't have to iron right now i can play football okay it's awesome okay but my girl my little girl she's not like that she is oof I told you I'm a tomboy. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. Just let me say that, okay? Like pink, purple. She, thanks, Trudy. She wants an American Girl doll. I'm just like, wow. Awesome. Now I'm going to have to learn how to play with baby dolls. But I love her, so I'm going to. But I, honestly, Quinn, Quinn, she, she doesn't care about quality time. You know what she is? She's a words of affirmation girl. That's number four. Compliment them. Compliment them. Man, you, I give my little girl, Quinn, a compliment. And she, it's like, she's like walking on clouds, you know, she's, she, she just eats it up. Me, I could care less if you give me a compliment. <laughs> I'm just like, thanks. My husband's like, babe, like, why would I say that to you? It doesn't matter. I'm like, I don't know. I, can you empty the dishwasher? Like that, that, that's my love language. Like, I don't know. But like Quinn, man, and, and your kids, you probably have kids like this. Okay. I think about her and I think about that verse in Proverbs that says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and it's, it's really hard to say pictures of silver. Man, that thing stands out. That gold stands out on that silver background. That's Quinn. Compliment your kids. Honestly, just know what their love language is. People poo-poo that love language thing. I'm telling you, it's real. It's real. Okay. Number five, discipline them. Okay. Do not forget this in your parenting. Please discipline your children. Teach them to fear God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Because we're going to stand before him in judgment. Okay, teach your kids to fear the Lord. Teach them that their sin will find them out. Okay, I love this verse in the Old Testament. I tell this to my kids all the time. Okay, because they really believe it. And honestly, it's true. When they're little, you always find their sin out. And when they're older, you actually still find their sin out. It just takes a little longer. Okay, Numbers 32, 23, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. Drill that into your kids' heads. Baby girl, maybe I don't see it, but God's going to see it. And it's not using God as a battering ram. Please do not do that to your children. Okay, but they need to know your sin will find you out. And they need to know that you will reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7. Okay, they are not the exception to the rule. They will reap what they sow. We will reap what we sow. 
It's a very humbling verse in the Bible. You will reap what you sow. Teach your kids this. Number six, disciple them, okay? Do you have a list of verses that you want your kids to learn? Do you have a list of things you want to teach them? Do you have a list of books you want them to read? There we go. Got to plug in for books again, okay? Do you have a list of places you want to take them? A list of skills you want them to have before they leave your home? Disciple your children. And if you want to steward your calling well, focus on these three areas. Don't let anything get in the way of them. Okay, if you're going to take something on and put it in your wagon and it's going to adversely affect your relationship with the Lord or your husband or your kids, I promise you, you don't want to pay that cost. You don't. You don't. But you'll notice, listen, you are not in the wagon, right? You're not a rock. You're actually the one pulling the wagon. Okay, what about us? You actually learn this really cool principle in the Bible in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 25, 4, and also um, Paul quotes it in 1 Timothy and the, and the principle is this, don't muzzle the ox, okay? What does that mean? First of all, I apologize for likening you all to oxen, okay? But what does that mean? So back in the day, they would have this oxen, okay, around this grinding wheel. And here's your grinding wheel, and there would be a track around it, okay? And as that oxen was hooked to the yoke, hooked to the grinding wheel, would go around, that thing would spin, and it would grind the wheat into flour, okay? Don't muzzle the ox. They would put corn around that track, and as the oxen was going around, they would just let him eat. He's working hard. He's turning that wheat into flour. Just let him eat whenever he wants to. Don't muzzle that ox. How does that apply to us as moms pulling the wagon? How it applies to me? Find ways to recharge, okay? To get energized, to rest, to gain perspective. Okay, what are some practical tips? These are my three that I love, okay? Have something to look forward to. Okay, when it is February 44th and you haven't seen the sun in three months, you need something to look forward to. I'm telling you, that's a thing too. I'm telling you, I think I get seasonal depression where I'm like, I hate everybody and everything. And I just want to drink coffee and read books. Okay, but listen, have something to look forward to. Okay, maybe it's a big vacation. Maybe it's a girl's trip. Maybe it's golfing. Maybe it's going to coffee with a friend, okay? Put something on your calendar that you can look forward to. Maybe it's something as simple as, hey, the hubby's bringing home pizza on Friday and I don't have to cook. Praise the Lord, okay? <laughs> Number two, have some productive time where it's just you, okay? Find some productive time where it's just you. For me, this looks like mowing the grass, okay? I love to mow the grass, okay? So I put my AirPods on, put my noise-canceling headphones on, and I'm listening to an audiobook and I'm mowing. My kids are over there playing and I can see them occasionally. I can see them. Okay, <laughs> mowing. And I'm just like, this is so awesome. I'm being productive. I'm by myself. I'm doing something, two things I love. And it just helps me. It just helps me. Maybe that's gardening. Maybe that's hiking. Maybe it's running. Oh, you weird people. Okay. <laughs> Find something that you can do that's productive, that just gives you a different perspective of like, oh, I am a mom and I can function properly, okay? Number three, okay, I've referred to it a couple times. I, sorry, I can't help talking without saying this. Read books, okay? Read books. I love reading books. Why do I love reading books? The number one reason, they give me perspective. They give me perspective. Because when I read in the hiding place, and Betsy Tenboom is thankful for fleas in a Ravensbrook concentration camp. Holy cow. 
I can learn that my circumstances don't have to dictate my attitude. And when I read an evidence not seen and Darlene Diebler Rose is literally witnessing to the men who physically abused her, I'm convicted that my faith doesn't cost me anything in this country. Why am I not sharing my faith? Why? And when I read Insult to the Sea, I read this quote, I felt sorry for myself because I didn't have any shoes until I met a man who didn't have any feet. And I'm reminded that I need safe for myself every day because honestly, I'm a schmuck and I complain way too much. But those things help me and they give me perspective. Find ways to change your perspective, okay? When you're bogged down in the mundane, just remember, it's only for a season, okay? When you think your husband doesn't care, okay, let me give you a piece of advice. He probably just doesn't see it, okay? Talk to him, tell him you're struggling. I can't take this weight. There's too many things on my plate. Just talk to him and tell him, okay? And when you think your house is ugly and outdated, remember, we have kids. You can't have nice things anyway, okay? <laughs> You can't. And in conclusion, I want us to focus down, okay? I'm almost done. I want to challenge us to really think about what is in our wagon, okay? Are there things in your wagon that you need to get rid of? Things you need to say no to? Good things. Things that would like, wow, I, I would be serving the Lord. They're good things. But are they going to come at the expense of this? Say no, say no. Are there people in your life who keep putting rocks in your wagon that maybe you just need to make a little distance from? Are your rocks expectations? What about an emotion? Are you carrying around emotions that just need to go? What about behaviors that you're just like, it's the way I've always been. It's not that big of a deal. Is there a behavior that needs to go? Ask yourself. Okay. Here you go. You want to know how to tell if a rock needs to come out of your wagon? Does it adversely affect my relationship with the Lord? My relationship or my ability to love my husband? Or my relationship or my ability to love my kids? And if it does take it out of your wagon. Listen, it might go back in another year. It might go back in two years. It might never go back. But take it out of your wagon. We started off talking about the, the, the theme is stewardship, okay? We are stewards of all that God gave us. Our husbands, our kids, our talents, our homes. And if we're not careful, we start to think that those things are ours, that they belong to us. Remember, we're stewards of what God has given us. Because listen, you never know. God's going to take this rock right here out of your wagon. And you find yourself, like my mom at age 45, on the front row of the pew, front pew at a funeral, with the weight of the world on your shoulders. Did you cherish him? Because God just took him. Or what about, whew, 
what about God forbid this happens? And he comes and he takes your kid out of your wagon and he says, I'm not requiring that of you anymore. I'm taking that one. Will anything else in that wagon matter at that point when you're looking at your child sitting in their casket? You know what you're going to want to do with this wagon? You're going to chuck it in the deepest sea because none of that stuff's going to matter. Your kids have to matter now and invest in them. Or what about, right? You're the one pulling this wagon. Let go. You're the one flying in the casket. And you have no more chance to invest in your husband and your kids. Will your husband and will your kids be able to say, thank you, God, for those 16 years, four months, and 24 days? Because listen, Ecclesiastes 9.10 tells us, some great advice. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever God has put in your wagon, do it with all your might and don't look back and don't care what anybody else is saying. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why don't you come to this? Why don't you come to that? Because I'm investing in my kids and my husband and it's the only thing. I'm telling you, it's the only thing that'll matter. I'm evidence of it standing up here tonight. Being dead, the book of Hebrews says, yet speaketh. That's my dad. He speaks in my life. I'm not saying I hear audible voices. <laughs> I'm telling you, his, his investment in my life, I'm so thankful for it. And let me put this all in perspective. Final quote, and I'll leave you. Because I think this, this is the essence of it. William Carey, he was a missionary to India. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of a succeeding at things that don't matter. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you, Lord, for these women. Thank you for these women who took time out of their night, God, to come to a night, God, that hopefully is just a reminder, God, of things that matter. God, we are oftentimes an unthankful people. And when we just sit and we think about, God, how great you have been to us to write us a love letter that tells us how you want to order our lives if we will just read it and believe it and understand it, God, our lives can be amazing. God, thank you for husbands who love us. God, I, I'm, I'm sorry for when I take mine for granted, Lord. You have given me a gift in my husband that is beyond my wildest dreams. And God, you've given me kids God, that remind me that you love me each and every day. God, you are good to us. And I pray that we would, we would live in light of God, that we are going to stand before you and give an account of what we did with the things that you gave us. God, and I pray that we would be found faithful stewards of the things you gave us, that we didn't get distracted in this life of all the things that are coming at us, even good things, God. Stones, though, that you didn't ask us to carry, 
at certain points in our life, Lord, to help us remember, God, that maybe you don't want us to carry it right now. Maybe we can pick it up later. God, we have 18 years, if we're lucky, with our kids, God, to invest in them so that when they go out in the world that they can have a testimony like Daniel that he's persuaded God, that he's not going to defile himself, that, that he's, they're going to be like Joseph, Lord, who, God, why would I sin against God? Why? God, I thank you for my dad. God, who just invested in me and again, that I, I'm still seeing the payoff of. Thank you for men and women, God, who invested the word of God into my life. And I thank you, God, for reminders like William Carey, God, who tells us ultimately, God, to change our perspective on what really matters. God, thank you for being faithful to us when we're not. In your name I pray. Amen.